Uh, we had a staff day this, this week where uh, Jim and I and the rest of the staff here at Cornerstone just got away to pray for a day. And so we went up to Rocky Peak Church because their property is a little nicer. You know, I mean, we have a nice view here of Penny Pinchers and the train, but we, we went up to Rocky Peak, you know, just kind of overlooked the valley and just think about the majesty of God and just praying and praying for one another. And uh, so different staff people were asking me throughout the day, how can I pray for you? And it seemed like the same thing I, I kept coming back to was I was telling everyone, you know what, pray that God would help me say no more often. You know, it's like I want to do everything. Every time someone wants something, it's like I, my immediate response is, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I, I want to help. But you know what? There's only so much time in the day. And, and, you know, something that I'm learning, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You know, because you're crowding something else out of your schedule. And while all these things may be good, you know, there's nothing sinful about saying yes to these things, but it becomes that when you're doing all these good things and yet you're neglecting the best things, the most important things. And we do this in our lives. We, we, we say yes to so much that we end up crowding out the very things that ought to be priority in our lives. And usually the first one that gets crowded out of our lives is God. Because He's not down here on earth physically, you know, screaming in your face, I need your time, give me your time, give me your resources, serve me, do this, do that. And so we fill our times with all the other things. And we crowd God out. And, um, you know, we have this problem saying no. And so I go, you know, just, just pray. It doesn't sound real spiritual, but I need to learn how to say no to, to all these other things so I can say yes to the things that are most important. Um, our inability to say no, we see it when we go to Costco, you know, to pick up two or three items, right? And you know, with this whole cart of stuff, why? Because everything's like, oh yeah, I probably need that. I probably need that. And we start saying yes, 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 yes to all this stuff. And you know, we, we do it, uh, we do it with our time. You know, it's, it's, our, our, our lives are already too busy, right? And then yet someone says, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? And we just go, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Meanwhile, you're crowding out some pretty important things. This is why we get in debt. You know, we, we just keep saying yes. We, we can't say no. And, uh, this idea of crowding God out, it's, it, it's, like, it's like when my wife and I go out to eat, um, a lot of times we'll just order one meal uh, because I don't want to overeat and also because I'm cheap. And uh, so, so we'll get the one meal and what I do when the meal comes, the extra plate, is I'll cut off her portion and give it to her. You know, I don't go, you know what, Lisa, let me just eat until I'm happy and then I'll give you whatever's left over. Because I know if I do that, I know, I know myself. I can eat a lot and I would consume everything there and then I'd even want more. And, and, and the truth is, is, that's what we do with God though. We, we tend to just say, you know what, let me just take care of myself. Let me buy the things I want to buy. Let me do the things I want to do. And then if there's any leftover time, I'll give it to you. The problem is we're consumers and we say yes to everything. And so pretty soon there's nothing left at the end of the day to give God, except maybe a visa bill, you, you know? And, and, and pretty soon there's no time for God and He gets crowded out. And, and you guys, this, this whole series on, on priorities is not about, hey, how can we fit God in here a little bit? It's not about that. It's not about fitting God into your life. When we talk about priorities, it's, it's just that. It's saying, you know what? I want God to be priority over me. 
See, because everyone has time to serve God. Everyone does. Everyone has enough time to serve God. Everyone has enough money to give to God. Now, do we have enough time and money to where we can serve and give to God and also live the lifestyles that we want to live? Probably not. So at that point, you make a decision. Well, who's more important? And usually it's us, and then if there's anything left over, I'll give to Him. And He's the one that sacrifices. I'm talking about the possibility, just just the thought, and I know it's a crazy thought to some of you, that maybe you come to a point in your life where you actually are more concerned about pleasing God than yourself. And for some of you, that's just the craziest thought in the world. And yet, you guys, that's the very basics of Christianity. That's, that's the very core. Is for Jesus says, for someone to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Making me the one that's, that's the one to be followed. My desires and my will for your life. Rather than being the one that's usually crowded out. Now, um, the, the book we're going to study the next couple of weeks... Uh, it's a very interesting book. I love this book. And, I, and not many people have studied it from the, at least the last few services. It's the book of Haggai. How many of you have studied the book of Haggai? Okay, two, three, four. Okay, it's a great book in the Bible. Okay, you, you, you'll have to turn to the table of contents, which Julie's doing right now, because it's just one page. You can't flip over and go, oh, there's Haggai. It's just like you'll, you'll miss it. So just open the table of contents, turn to the book of Haggai, Oh, you're going to love this book. You are. Trust me. I never even heard of him. Oh, it's, it's the best. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. Just this verse itself. Listen to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Listen closely. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> you guys are going, oh, that's all I needed. I can leave now. No, okay, that, let me... Um, now, most of you are going, ah, well, what's that all about? So, let me give you a quick, as quick as I can, history lesson. Okay? I'm going to take you back so that you understand the context of, of, of Haggai's time. I'm going to go back to, uh, to when God created the world. Okay, so we're going back pretty far. Um, actually, we're going back before that. Okay? Like, what do you mean before that? No, there was a before that. But I was just, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Or John says, in the beginning was the Word. I want you to think about something. There was a time when all there was was God. Think about this. There were no angels. There was no earth. Nothing else but God. There was no one, no angels going, oh, you're God, but he was still God. There were no people on the earth praising him as God, yet he was still God. That's, that's his name, I am. When he says, when Moses says, hey, who are you? He goes, my name is I am. It was talking about his eternality. He just always is. Unlike us, you and I became, we came into existence at a certain point. God just says, I am. And I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's just, that's just who I am. I am. And there was a time when there was just God. Think about that. All there was was God. The earth was just a thought in his mind. There was no earth. It was just the thought of creating an earth was in his mind. And, and think to yourself, what if God never thought to create an earth? 
See, you and I were just a thought in his head. I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll create Chris. I think I'll create Rob. I think I'll create Morgan. That was just a thought. That, that, that was my only existence. That's this whole earth. That was his own, the only existence was in God's head, in his mind. What if God never thought to create you? Where have the Creator never thought to even create this whole earth? It's just Him. He's still God. I mean, seriously, dwell on that sometime. Sometimes you walk around like everything revolves around us, and then you stop and you think, wait a second. I, I, this earth didn't even exist. It was just in the thought of God, in the mind of God. And God, God thinks to create a world, so He creates this world. He creates these people. He creates Adam and Eve. They populate the earth. Thousands and thousands of people. And God gives them some commands and says, this is the way I want you to live. God says, okay, look, here's this earth. I made it. I made you. Here's how I want you to live. The people hear God's laws and they don't like it because we don't like restrictions. We don't like to be under anyone's authority. So they began to rebel against this God and they do all the things that he hates so God floods the earth. Genesis 6 says, oh, look at these people. I mean, look at the way they treat me and my laws. They're just trampling them. You know what? Forget it. And he floods the earth. Floods, kills everyone except for Noah because there's this one guy who was trying to pursue God. He goes, you know what? I'm going to keep him alive, keep his family alive. And they repopulate the earth and God promises I won't do that again. And he gives us that sign of the rainbow saying, I'll never flood the earth again like that. So, so he repopulates through Noah. Noah, you know, he says, all these kids, all these kids have kids, 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 kids. Everyone starts, you know, developing all these people and all these people on the earth again seek to rebel against God. Collectively, they go, let's just go against God. Let's just, let's... and God frustrates them, gives them a bunch of different languages. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, we've got to hurry here. And, uh, he, he's, um, they're going everywhere, you know, their own languages, their own places, and all of them separately start rebelling against God again. We don't want to follow this God and His laws. So they start making up their own religions and they start making up their own gods, saying, well, you know, I, the, the way I picture God is He'd probably let me do whatever I want. And, they, and most of those religions back then, if you study them, a lot of them were built of, upon worshiping like phallic symbols and things because it was all to please whatever desire they had. They just wanted to make God their own creation, whatever would make them happy. And so you've got this going on all around the world and all these people are saying, oh no, God's like this, God's like this. And, and they had this freedom in their mind to make God however they wanted Him to be, whatever they thought He should be like. And so God says, okay, that's enough of that. Here's, what I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to show myself to the world now. He chooses this one man named Abraham, Abram at the time. He goes, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which is like a plural of your name, meaning there's going to be so many of you. You're going to have all these descendants. Abraham's going, one problem, I'm 100 years old, you know, and have no kids, uh, you know, and, and my wife's 90, and she's not looking so hot. And, and God, God says, no, 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 this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is, going to sh this is how I'm going to show myself to the world. I'm going to have you have kids. And your children, your descendants are going to turn into this huge nation, this mighty nation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless this one nation so much. Just this one nation, not all the other ones, just this one nation because I want the whole world to look at this one nation and go, wow, their God's the real one. Because you're going to go defeating armies way bigger than yours. And I'm going to bless and multiply. And none of this should have happened, but everyone's going to look at this nation and go, wow, their God must be the real God and then I'll get the worship that I deserve. So Abraham has a kid, Isaac. Isaac has a kid, Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids. And God says, Jacob, I'm changing your name to Israel. 
And that's where we get Israel. Israel had 12 kids, and those are the 12 tribes of Israel, or his 12 sons. God says, you guys are my people. I'm going to start blessing you. Now his people, they start getting attacked by the Egyptians. They become enslaved by the Egyptians. And so God says, you know what, look, there's my people. They're, they're being enslaved by this other group, but I love them. And so let me show my power. I'm going to send a deliverer, a leader, whose name was Moses. And Moses goes and he goes to Egypt and goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God says, let his people go. Pharaoh says, no way. And so God starts showering all these curses upon the, the Egyptians. And eventually he says, you know, I'm going to have the firstborn of every household die in Egypt. And so they all ended up dying. You know, the firstborn of all of the Egyptian homes. And, and Pharaoh finally goes, okay, get out of here, get out of here, just go, go. I, your God is too powerful for me. I don't want to deal with this God anymore. We're all going to die if I keep rebelling against this God. So go, you're free, okay? So the Israelites, you know, they, they run, they're, they're free, you know, God saved us. And, and then Pharaoh changes his mind and goes, no, no, wait a second, I want those guys back. They start chasing them and the, the Israelites are backed up to the Red Sea. And, and they're like, oh, what do we do now? And Moses touches the Red Sea and, and, it, and it parts. You know, and so the, the Israelites are able to walk through. You know, God's people are able to walk through the, the Red Sea, and then once they get to the other side, Pharaoh's army's pursuing them, and God drowns them all in that sea. And the people again, Woo, we're free. God, God, got us through this. He, he really is God. He really is God. And God tells them, He goes, listen. Not only that, but now I'm going to take you to this land. I'm going to take you to the greatest land. I promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now you guys are going to get to go there because you're my people. And we're going to be this great nation and their people are all fired up and they send some spies out to the land that God was going to take them to. And the spies come back and go, we saw the land. It's beautiful. It's everything God said it would be, but there's these really big guys over there. There are these giants and I don't think we can beat them. And God's going, wait a second. I just slayed the firstborn of all of Egypt. You saw me do that, right? You saw all the plagues I put on them. You saw how I split the Red Sea wide open. And now you're thinking, I can't defeat these guys for you? He goes, you know what? I'm tired of you. I'm just sick of you. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have that whole generation die. That's, I, that's my answer to a lot of things. I'm, I'm going to have that whole generation of you. I'm just going to have you die. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you wander around the desert for 40 years. I mean, the kids are okay because they, they aren't in this decision. It's you guys. You guys are the leaders. You knew better. So I'm going to have you die out and your children. So after those 40 years, that next generation, they're going to go to the promised land. And so under Joshua, they're taken to this promised land. They get to the land and sure, it's beautiful. They conquer all the people just like God said they would. And, and Israel becomes just powerful. After a while, Israel goes, well, this is great, but God, we'd love to have a king. And God's going, I'm your king. They're like, yeah, but we want like a man. You know, and God's like, gosh, you're driving me crazy, but okay, fine, fine. You want a man? Here's Saul. You like him? He's nice, big, handsome, everything else. He'll be your leader. He'll be your king. Now, Saul was a terrible king. You know, just an evil king. And, you know, and so God takes a blessing away from him, raises up another guy, David. Now, David was a good king. Yeah, he was a murderer, an adulterer, but, you know, but God still called him good, which is comforting right if you killed a couple people this week and uh he goes okay but but he's still mine i, I forgive him and, and he loves me and, and so david is king of israel and israel flourishes then, then david has a son solomon solomon takes over the kingdom and god tells solomon solomon i want you to build a temple for me there 
You're the one that's going to build me a temple right there in Jerusalem, right there in that temple mount. I got all the, the, you know, the specs and everything else. And he just built the most beautiful, amazing temple. And God says, this is where I'm going to dwell on the earth. This is going to be like the center of the earth. This is everything. I'm going to put my name. I'm going to put my glory. You put that Ark of the Covenant in the temple. You put that Ark I told you to make. Put it in there. Put the Ten Commandments in there. Put it, you know, and my glory is going to fill that place. And everyone's going to know you don't mess with the temple. You don't mess with the people of God. And so that's what happens during Solomon's reign. The temple is built. Solomon has a son, Rehoboam. You know, things kind of go on for a little bit, but then there's a division in Israel. And they start fighting. And suddenly there's a half of the people take, you know, half of Israel and the other half go north, you know, under this guy named Jeroboam. And so now suddenly the, the kingdom of Israel is divided between these two leaders. And in the midst of all that, they start wandering into their sin again. The northern kingdom was really bad. They didn't have any good kings, it seemed like. Everyone was just rebelling against God. They hadn't had any good going on there. And so God has this group of people called the Assyrians, this army. You may have heard of them. The Assyrians come and they attack that northern kingdom around 722 B.C. They attack them, carry them off, and so now they take that northern kingdom out of the promised land. The southern kingdom stays, hangs tough there. You know, the southern kingdom of Judah under a, a king Hezekiah, you know, Assyrians try to attack them, but he's, he's, a, he's a follower of God. And so he keeps them strong and they're okay for a while, but then things happen, kings keep changing, and eventually the Babylonians come, about a hundred years or so later, the Babylonian empire comes and takes over, gets the southern kingdom of Israel out. And so now, now there's, the Jews are all out of Israel. The Babylonians are under captivity under them. They're away from their land. After the Babylonian Empire comes the Persians. Now under the Persians, there's a king named Cyrus. King Cyrus says, you know what? I'm going to let you guys go back to your land. I'm going to let you guys go back to your land. So Cyrus allows the governor of the people who was Zerubbabel and their high priest Joshua lead them back into the land. And so the people are back here now, okay? And, and so then, after, after Cyrus comes a Darius, and Darius, you know, during that time, that's where we pick up the story in Haggai. Haggai comes and speaks to Joshua, Zerubbabel, and the people and says, hey, I've got a message for you guys from God. Okay? You got it? Okay, so that's where we are in Haggai 1 now. Okay. Now, I left out a lot, okay? So don't go, oh, I don't have to read the Old Testament now. No, I left out a lot. Okay, so here they are. They're in the land. The temple's been destroyed. Solomon's beautiful temple was destroyed by the, by the Babylonians, that place. And so in, in verse 2, God has a message for these people. And the Lord Almighty says, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Okay, God's responding and He's saying, you know what? You people, I put you back in the land, but you're making the statement saying, it's just not time for the Lord's house to be rebuilt right now. Okay, you got that? So they're going, it's just not time to rebuild the temple. And so God's response to that in verse 3 is this. He says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? There's a bit of sarcasm there. Where God goes, oh, so it's not time to build my temple, but it is time for you to build your own house though, right? Your nice little paneled houses. The paneled house was the idea that in, in their interior was this crafty woodwork. I mean, it just, it just basically meant they're living in luxury. And God goes, that's really interesting that you go, it's not time to build my house, yet you knew it was time to build yours? While mine remains a ruin? 
Because interesting, you, you didn't hear a call to rebuild my house, but did you hear a call to rebuild yours? It's, it's a double standard that we do to this day. I hear it all the time. Christians will come to me and say, well, I don't know if I should serve God right now. I haven't gotten a clear calling. You know, God hasn't told me you know, exactly where to serve Him and what to do. And I, so I really feel like the right thing to do is to wait upon the Lord. You know, really from my heart. And wait upon the Lord to tell me where to serve. You know, otherwise I'm running ahead of Him. Hear that stuff all the time. And, and I, my response to that is, did you watch TV this week? Did you hear from the Lord to watch TV? Did, did, you, did God say, you know what, you need to watch some television tonight. You, you need to golf tomorrow. You need to shop the next day. You've got to do this. Is, is, that, is that what happened? It's interesting, we have this double standard that if it's about stuff that I want to do, I don't need to hear from the Lord. I don't need to be called to that. But if it's to serve Him, then I better hear an exact calling and everything else. You better tell me what to do. You see, it's really just us over-spiritualizing things so that we can do what we want and make it sound godly. You know, and that's what God's saying to these people. That's really cute that you say, I didn't call you to rebuild my temple and it's not time yet. Meanwhile, it's time for you to build a pretty nice house for yourself. To care for yourself and buy things for yourself. It's basically they're putting God's work aside so they can pursue their own lives. That's what everyone wants to do. i got my own desires. God's got desires for me, but i got my own desires. And so I'm going to pursue mine until I hear a real strong voice from Him. And you're putting yourself before God. I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a crazy thought. But I pray for this and I go, God, I really want to be a man who literally cares about your house more than my own personal house. That's what I want to be, God. I want to care. Like, like you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll sell my place. I'll live in a tent, you know what, if, if you need your house to be built. My dreams, my desires are secondary. That's what it means to have Him as Lord. He's, he's, he's the one that I follow. And to me, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's all that makes sense. I mean, think about the gap between the Creator and a created being. For example... I got a, a little man in my pocket. Okay, now let's just say, let's say this guy, I know, what, don't you? Um, let's say, I get lonely. No, let's, let's say, um, let's say, okay, he doesn't exist, and in my mind, I decide to create. Let's say I have the power to create, and I decide I'm going to make a little man, and I just create this person, Okay. He didn't exist a second ago, but I made him. And I want you to think right now. Just think about the difference between him and I. Think about the difference between he and I. Created being, creator. That's a big gap. Think about the difference between, the, the gap between you right here in this little room and the creator. Who made you? And does it really make sense as a created being to go, well, you know, let me do my thing. And then if I have anything left over, okay, maybe I'll, I'll give something to you. All right, here's a couple bucks. 
Here's, a, here's, here's you know, 15 minutes here, you know, there. Does that, that really make sense to you? As a creating being to put your own desires before that of God's. By nature of who we are, it only makes sense to say, okay, no, you're more important than I am. Your desires should come before mine because I wouldn't even be here. I was just a thought in your head and you made me. Here I am. So, 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 what do you want me to do? And when we do that, then we realize, you know what, that God actually cares about me. And, and by following Him, I live the most fulfilled life possible anyways. But if that's not enough for you, if that's not to convince you, then hopefully verses 5 on will. Because to me, once you read this, you go, okay, well then that's just dumb and not to follow God. Verse 5, it says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground produces, on men, cattle, on the labor of your hands. God says to the people, He goes, you know, you're looking out for yourself, but what happened? You thought to yourself, I know what I'm going to do. Forget God. Forget His house. I'm just going to build my own little empire here. I'm going to build a beautiful house for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to plant all these crops. I'm going to reap this harvest. And He goes, what happened? came time to harvest and you had nothing to really harvest, did you? He goes, you know why? Because I, I, I created a drought. I, I kept the heavens from raining upon your crops. I kept the earth from producing crops. And then when you got a little bit, what happened? He goes, I blew it away. You thought you were going to have all this money to save, didn't you? And then you put it in your account. He goes, it's like putting it in a purse with holes in it. And he goes, you know why? I blew it all away. And he goes, it's your fault. It's your fault for neglecting me. You, you try to do it your way and you expected all this stuff apart from me. He goes, that's not the way it works on this earth. It's not the way it works for my people, my, my followers. He goes, I blew it all away. And he says, you know what you need to do? Climb up that mountain. Start chopping down trees. Repent. Start building my house. Why don't you put your own desires aside for a second and build mine? And then maybe you'd see the blessings again. See, it, people do this all the time. They go, no, I've got a way. I, I know. I know how to find happiness. I know how to find fulfillment. You know, I'll pursue this. I'll, I'll pursue this salary. Once I get this salary, this number, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have enough. And then you get there, right? And is it ever enough? Well, once I get this position at work and this position of power, then you get that position, oh, it's not everything I... So then you pursue something else. It's this relationship. If I could have a relationship with that person, that person comes and you're like, oh, that's not enough. Maybe if we had a child, maybe that child, you know, I could live through them, you know, her, whatever. Maybe that'll, have, that'll bring me pleasure. That'll bring... And all these things you expect to bring you fulfillment. And many of you have gone down these roads just chasing pleasure however you could find it. It doesn't happen doesn't work. 
And God says, you ever wonder why? He says, give careful thought to your ways. You guys wonder why you didn't harvest a whole lot, why there's not a whole lot in your account? He goes, because I blew it away. Because you put yourself first. You prioritize yourself before me. And that's not what it means to be a follower. It, it, it's, it's, it's like this. I've, I've used this illustration before. But it's like, uh, it's like if, if you were driving, if you're driving your car, this is, this is just like an illustration of life. Suppose you're driving your car. Okay, here you are. And, uh, and you're driving, you're in control. And one day, let's say you come to church, or one day you, you know, you're here, and, and maybe the first time, whenever it was in your life, you, you're driving along life's road and you hear about Jesus. And you hear, wait, I need Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God and, and He paid for all of my crimes. Every time I disobeyed God, I was storing up wrath for myself. But it, Jesus took it all on the cross. Man, and, and I can accept Him into my life. I can have a relationship with Him. And, and you think to yourself, wow, and this may, that may be the first time you ever heard it. But some of you go, you know what? I want that. I want Jesus. And a lot of people go, you know what? That's exactly what I need. I want this Jesus in my life. I want Him in my life. So what you do is, is, uh, is you pop the trunk and go, Jesus, climb in. That sounds horrible, but honestly, that's what most people seek to do when they hear about Jesus. They go, I know, I want Him with me, so get in the trunk, God. Get in the trunk, Jesus, because every once in a while, I, I run into a problem and I'll pop the trunk, you'll come out and you'll fix it. Maybe I'll get a flat and you're already back there, the jack's back there, just get out. And you can fix it, you can fix it. That, and you guys, as awful as that illustration sounds, that's what most people want from God. That's what they want. They'll call Him Lord, Master, but what they really want is slave. Slave, come out and fix this. Come on, don't you care about my needs? And you really think the God of the universe is going to jump into that trunk? Oh, cool. You know, I get to come into your life and be your slave? The Creator? But other people go, well, I'm not that bad. I, I open the passenger seat door. I even open the door for him to climb in the passenger seat. And let me, you know, and I'll drive and I'll just, I'll take us around wherever I want to go and we'll have a relationship and you can help me with different things. We'll talk through things in life, but I'm in control. And guess what? God's still not coming in the car until you get out of the car and you hand him the keys and say, you drive. I'll sit in the passenger seat. Where do you want to go? What are your priorities? Let me follow you and let me serve you. And when we do that and allow God to be the Lord of our lives, that's when He comes into our lives. And that's when He starts taking you through these journeys that you never would have gone on, on yourself by yourself. And you start finding fulfillment in this relationship and being led by God and His commands, His laws, His direction, His will. And you go, wow, this is pretty good. See, to me, it's the only, okay, it's the only thing that makes sense. Because even if you go, you know, I'm not about that. I'm not going to follow anyone. I want control. You see, this is why I think it's stupid. Even if you say, nope. I'm, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to, to, the, to the steering wheel. I'm in control. I'm taking care of my life. I'm not letting anyone drive me around. I got the keys. You know what God in heaven's doing? God in heaven's going, yeah, you, you think you have control. Ah! You know, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on. See, don't you see? That's the book of Haggai right there. Right? 
These people go, forget you, God. I'm going to take care of my house. I'm going to have all these crops. I'm going to do all this. And God's going, watch, no rain. Watch this. Everything you're working for, it's going to end in misery. All these expectations. Why? Because I'm still in control. And, and so you may leave here and go, no, 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 I'm not relinquishing. And I'm going, you know what? You're not really relinquishing anything. Whether you want to accept Him as Lord or not doesn't change the fact that He is Lord. Whether you want to give Him control or not doesn't change the fact that He's in control. You think you're in control of your life right now? You really think you have control over your destiny? And you have power to hold onto that wheel and, and nothing, no one can affect that? You're crazy. It's never happened in the history of mankind and it's not about to start now. And I love what happens at the end of the story. This is the best. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the Lord, on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. The people heard the message. And the Bible says they knew it came from God. And so it says they obeyed because they feared the Lord. It didn't say that the people heard the message, they agreed with it, and so they just started talking to each other about all their intentions, about, oh, I really will serve God. Yeah, me too. You know, once I get to here, yeah, 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 and, and talk and make themselves sound spiritual. That's what the American church does. We're so good at talking. But that's not what pleases the Lord. What pleased the Lord was when these people just heard from the Lord and they just ran up the hill and started chopping down trees. They did something. God is not honored by good intentions. We all have those. He's honored by action. He's not honored by you coming today and crying. Oh, I really made a mess of my life. So what? What are you going to do now? Are you actually going to change? The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's not about coming and crying and going, okay, I got that off of my chest. God says you do something. And when those people did it, God looks at that, sees their repentance, and I love, this is what it's all about. Okay, what He says. This is the phrase, verse 13. When God sees, man, they're going to listen to me, they're running up the hill, they're chopping down trees, what's His response? Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, four words, I am with you. God looks down at those people, they repent, and He goes, you know what? Now I am with you. Now I'm on your side. Now I am with you. And I don't know about you, but that's all I want on this planet is to know that God, the Creator, the I Am, is with me. That's all I need. See, because if I have the house, the bank account, the stuff, and all the security, but I don't have God, what kind of security is that when He's in control? And yet if I stand here, and I don't care what I have, I, I can have nothing, I can have none of you with me, whatever else, 
As long as God says to, to me, Francis, I'm with you, I go, who's going to be against me? What's going to damage me? Why, well, I'm not going to have to worry about the future. The God of the universe is with me. As long as I have that assurance, I'm fine. I don't know what you're after in life. You're going to try to make life work outside of God. and I just go, that's, that's just foolish. We've all tried that. It doesn't work. Now I have God with me. And I tell you, I will not trade that for anything. He's my Lord. He's in the car. He's driving it. And well, God, I, I, just, I just want to be with you. I just, I'm safe with you. I don't have to worry about anything as long as you're with me. Where else do you hear that phrase, I am with you? Think, think hard in the Bible. Where else do you hear the phrase, I am with you? You can say it out loud. Jesus, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, but what, what does it say? It says, Jesus in verse uh, 18 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He goes, so therefore you go and you make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You see that? He goes, you be busy about the work. See, back then the work was rebuild the temple and I'm with you. You guys get, go, go up that mountain, start chopping down trees and I'll be with you. New Testament, our time, he says to you guys, you know what, you guys, go, go all over the place and tell people about me. Get them to obey everything that I've commanded. He goes, then I'll be with you. So why do I devote my life to trying to make every single one of you, everyone I come in contact with, I'm trying to convince you, obey God, obey God, obey God, because the Bible says if I do that, then He's with me. And so I don't care if I say some things and you can't stand me and you leave here and go, oh, what an idiot, what a jerk. Bye. You know, I, I can't, I gotta, I gotta tell you what he says to do. I gotta tell you how to obey him. Why? Because I want him to say, Francis, I'm with you. You keep making disciples. You keep baptizing people. You keep telling people to follow me and I'm with you. And I go, man, that's all I need. All I need. That's, you're enough. You're enough. Is God with you today? Is God in your life? Is He the Lord of your life? Is He your priority? I hope so. Man, I'm begging you. Nothing else makes sense on this earth. You're a created being on the planet for a few moments. Any second, it's over. God's in control of everything anyways. Give Him the keys. Ask Him to come into your life and take over and rule and truly be the Master, the Lord of your life.